times, but this July 4th, 4th of July holiday, is a time when we celebrate the birth of our nation. Not all the wars that have been fought since, but the birth of what I certainly consider to be the greatest nation on earth. It's a saying that goes around, American exceptionalism. It has nothing to do with America's being greater than anyone else. It has to do with America itself. A nation founded by God on the principles of God. A nation who did more to further the gospel than any, any nation before it. A nation who did more to free other people than any nation before it. A nation who spilled their own blood so the people could enjoy the freedom that we enjoy. We do that because the Word of God that has been sown into this country and into our hearts. There's an article I came across. I wanted to read parts of it for you. Five times the American Revolution almost failed. Peter Marshall, in his book, entitles his first book, A Light in the Darkness. This country was a light in a very dark world. The thing that is unique about America is that the typical government in this world is tyranny. Most governments, most nations have been run by a monarch, by a dictator, by someone who imposed their will on others. When they wrote that, docu- that document and said, we, the people, they were acknowledging that the people gave the power to those in government. Five times the American Revolution almost failed. John Adams was convinced that July the 2nd would be the most memorable day in our history. Of course, it became July the 4th, but they actually did all the stuff on July the 2nd. It just took a little while for the news to get out and Congress to do some things. Even back then, they were a little little behind, I guess. But it was the second day of July, and many patriots who put their name on a document For every single one of them, they would lose everything they had. They would become targets of the enemy. First time that the revolution almost failed was in the battles of Lexington and Concord. 1775, April 18th, it was the first skirmish of the revolution. The British had gotten wind that the militia were harboring weapons and decided to go on a march to take them. And they met them at Lexington, and the, uh, they, they were warned. They were uh, told about it. Of course, we know that famous ride by Paul Revere. The British are coming. The British are coming. And so they took the arms that they had, and they moved them to different places. They were prepared for when they came. They still were fought back at Lexington. But they joined, were joined with others and made a stand at Concord, and defeated the British and pushed them back to the area of Boston. Surprised everyone that these folks could take the strongest army of that day and drive them backwards with really no training at all. The Battle of Brooklyn Heights came up next. This was in August of 1776, one month after the Declaration of Independence was signed. 
In this battle, General George Washington, fresh off the victorious siege of Boston, watched as the British turned their might toward taking the critical port of New York City. Washington's men quickly lost ground on Long Island, Manhattan, Staten Island, and elsewhere around New York's harbor. Soon Washington and all his ill-trained army were surrounded, backed up against the East River in Brooklyn Heights. The British dug in, prepared for a slow and patient siege, during which time they would break the will of the unruly colony army and force Washington to surrender. But Washington had other plans. In the middle of the night on August 29, 1776, he ordered a risky evacuation. He would row all 9,000 of his troops, as well as their critical arms and supplies, across the East River to Manhattan. From there, they could escape and march south to New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Absolute quiet, speed, stealth, and pitch darkness were critical. The only problem, the retreat went more slowly than Washington had hoped. Stranded with his remaining men in Brooklyn, Washington raced against sunrise on August 30th. At any moment, British patrols would spy the retreating army and surely open fire. To Washington's astonishment, a fog rolled into the harbor, obscuring the East River and confusing the British. Now, the world sees this as a gift from nature. We saw it as a gift from God. And there are many other stories. If you ever read, read Peter Marshall's book, it's a great book to see how God was involved in these things. Washington was the last man to set foot on a retreating boat. When the weather declared, the British were stunned to see that the defeated Continental Army had escaped and the revolution was still alive. The Battle of Trenton in December of 1776, just a short while later, the men were becoming discouraged. Many of them were going to be up for renewal on January the 1st, and most had decided that they would not renew. It had been discouraging. There had been loss after loss. Not many victories. Times were hard. Food was scarce. Money was scarce. And so Washington decided to orchestrate a victory. And on Christmas Eve, 1776, he had his troops row across the river and then march nine miles, and then fight. And they fought, caught them completely off guard, completely by surprise. And they had a victory there at Trenton. The Battle of Saratoga. This is in the fall of 77, about a year later. The British had decided that they needed to take New York Harbor, the river, the Hudson, to uh, cut off New England from the rest of the colonies. And so they had decided on a three-branch attack from the north, from the south, and from the west. Well, the general coming up from the south was delayed. The one coming from the west was defeated. And the one coming from the north was the only one. And they were able to, to fight that one off and, and stage a tremendous victory. And from that point on, the harbor was never in danger, and the New England, the northern colonies were not threatened by the British Army. The fifth time was a name we all know, which is, uh, I didn't mention this, but in the Battle of Saratoga, the main reason that we won was because of a particular general whose cunning and his craftiness was un unmatched. And because of his bravery, his, his horse was shot out from underneath him. He had to be carried the parts of the battle. Because of him, Saratoga was a victory. 
His name? General Arnold. Benedict Arnold. Was a hero in the war. But after a while, about three more years, he got discouraged. He got delusioned. And he became ripe to be bought. And the right price came and the promise of fame and fortune. And so he sold out to the British. And he had a he put in to take over the West Point fort, the fort at, at West Point. And he was given the command of it. His, his goal was to surrender it to the enemy. He had a meeting with General Washington and one of his aides who had the papers. I'm not sure if it was a British aide or if it was one of his own. Was caught and the papers were found and his plot was uncovered. When he found out that would happen, he escaped hastily to the side of the British and we know the rest of the story what happened with, with him one of the most well-known traitors but it never worked it didn't come about and it was stopped so many times God has stopped things from going on that would have stopped the war that would have brought defeat and we continued to go on of course once we won the, the uh, revolutionary battle we were not free I don't know how much they teach that anymore in, in schools but the actual battle that caused us to come to a place of freedom was the War of 1812. That's the one where we really broke free from the reign of the British. And that was helped because the British were divided. Anyone know who they were divided fighting with at that particular time? There's a battle, famous battle that people probably know, Battle of Waterloo. Yeah. Yeah, he helped us out a little bit with that. They were a little bit uh, not quite as full force on, on to here. And the British Army was, uh, was uh, the British power, the British uh, Empire was beginning to, to diminish them. But that was the eight, War of 1812, which I don't think they teach too much about, too many of the battles that had gone on there. But that was the one where we actually uh, took the British influence out from, from here. But five times... In the revolution. How many have ever read Peter Marshall's book? This thing come from Peter Marshall's book. But how many have ever read Peter Marshall's book, A Light in the Glory? Phenomenal book. If you like history, you will hard, have a hard time putting it down. General Washington said this when he was contemplating his situation in January the 14th of 1776. The reflection upon my situation and that of this army produces many an uneasy hour when all around me are wrapped, wrapped in sleep. Few people know the predicament we are in. God used General George Washington and many others to turn that predicament into success. We think back to what these folks did, why they signed the document, why they went to war, why they did the things that they did, why they gave their lives for this country. It comes back to one thing. Love. They had a love for the country. They had a love for their families. They had a love for freedom. They had a love for something that wasn't theirs just yet. Then they went after it. Last week we talked about how men in the end times would become lovers of themselves. Surely that wasn't the, the case with many. In other words, there were many folks in the revolutionary days who uh, wanted to go for a peaceful solution. And uh, you know how that would have worked out. Same kind of way that works out with people who want to go after it now. But there are those who pushed for it and got it. No, we need to break free. We need to break away. 
And they did. We've been looking at the actions of pride. And I was contemplating on this, uh, you know, where do we go from here? I was pretty much sure we were done with this aspect of the, of the pride. But this is what came up for me to, to do here today. And we, we've done this before, but we haven't done it for a while. I look back in my notes to see when the last time was we covered this. And it has been a long time. We need to go over the principles of love. Because if I am supposed to love others as I love myself, I better know how to love myself. I better know how to love others. And the Bible gives us clear direction on how to do it. Unfortunately, we've messed it up. <laughs> we corrupt it. Most people look at love as an emotion. Most people look at love as that they'll act in love as long as they feel good about a situation. And um, it's really easy to tell that because if you are uh, walking in love with someone, if you love a job, if you uh, love the Lord, if you love the word, whatever it is that you love, something can come along and change it. Suddenly, you know, at work, somebody uh, offends you. Somebody does something you don't like. And so what do you want to do? You want to leave. Well, it's based on emotion. Love is not based on emotion. Love isn't based on emotion. God does not love us based on emotion. God loves us because he said he would. God loves us because he is love. It's something else. It's, it's different. We have to understand what that is and, and go after it. We don't automatically know how to love. We need to be taught. We automatically love in a human love, an emotional-based one. Where as long as I feel good about someone, I'll act lovingly to, towards them. That's not the way we're supposed to go. Well, as we looked at this part here about loving how they loved others, and the, the scripture we read, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And last week we looked at a group of people that certainly fit this description in the Pharisees. But in 1 Corinthians, the uh, chapter and verse didn't get put in your outline. It's intended to, but uh, you can just write this in there. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but... Have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Sounds like we need love. What's that song? All we need is love? I don't think they quite have it right. <laughs> but uh, love suffers long and is kind. Love suffers long and it is kind. So what it's, what it's saying is, after suffering long, the love of God that is in us is still kind. Isn't that what it says? Love suffers long and is kind. Does this sound like it's talking about loving people that are nice to you? How many of you suffer long from people that are being nice to you? That's not suffering long. Suffering long is when people are being rude. Nasty, short, 
not treating you the way that you think you should be treated. Love suffers long <laughs> and is kind. <laughs> it suffers long and is kind. That does not mean that love lets people walk all over you. But it means love suffers long and is kind. You don't have to get nasty. Oh, I got so mad at them. Why? Well, they did this. Love suffers long and is kind. You have to decide to not be kind as much as you have to decide to be kind. Just don't decide to be unkind. If you want practice on this, call up some uh, customer service place. Go at it for a little while. You need something? You'll get a whole lot further if you're kind. If you get nasty and treat them with an attitude, you're not going to get anywhere. It's not going to help you. Brother Keith Moore used to share this with us. He said, you know, he gets a lot of requests for people to come and to ask him to, to preach different places. And, and um, sometimes, you know, they, they don't get the response they want or they're still con- contemplating whether to go there. They get short with his secretary. And they start yelling at her. And he just says, I don't know what they're thinking. Do they think that because they yell at my secretary that I'm going to get in a plane and go? <laughs> I mean, really, when you think of it, that's just, that just kind of puts you on the, uh, the list of don't go. Don't go. But kindness will get you a whole lot further. How many times have you called a customer service rep and just stayed kind? And they just seem like they want to work for you now. No. You're, you're calling them for a reason. Reason is... You need them to do something for you. So if you want them to do something for you, it sure helps if they want to. <laughs> right? Some people may sit there and say, I could do this, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I heard one person, they were traveling, preaching and going around different places. And uh, I don't know, weather came in, something like that had happened. And the plane things got canceled and all this sort of stuff. And so they just... Uh, prayed and believed God, said, God, I, we just pray that you open up a place for us to be able to fly out and get to where we need to go to. And so the, they waited in line when they got to their place, you know, and they heard the people in front of them, they're all yelling at the ticket person, yelling at the ticket person, yelling at the ticket person. I need to be so-and-so. I need to be, don't you know who I am? And all these sort of things. And well, sir, there's just nothing there. Uh, and they just, you know, you have to be, sit down. And so when they came up, they say, I, I know this is not your fault. And I know you're really having a tough time. If it's possible, this is where we need to go. Um, and they just were very kind. And this person says, well, let me take a look at that. And then typing away and typing away some more and typing away some more and printing something out and gave them a ticket. <laughs> Simply because they were nice. Right? I'll tell you what, God's way is just better. You can even deal with unsaved people. And if you're kind, you'll get a lot further. But love suffers long and is kind. How long does love suffer? Oh. <laughs> now see, he doesn't say, it doesn't say two weeks. <laughs> right? It doesn't say two hours. It says it suffers long. Long. How long did God suffer with Israel? <sighs> when you can get up into that neck of the woods, you can start talking about, I think it's too long. 
Love suffers long and is kind. Stay on the kind side. Don't get on the nasty side. Be kind. Put in your outline that if we walk in, if the love we walk in is affected by a little suffering, it is not God's love. It's not. We're not walking in God's love. Because God's love suffers long and is kind. I put it this way. We have either accepted a replacement or left what we had. Christians have done this. They've accepted a replacement for the love of God. They think it's the love of God because, you know, they, they can act nice sometimes and they act sweet. But the Word of God says that love suffers long and is kind. Now, how are you supposed to love your neighbor? As yourself. Which means you need to learn how to be kind to yourself. How many times do you beat yourself up for stuff? For stuff? Got on your own case? Got nasty with yourself? Can't believe you did that. Steve, you're such a dope. Oh, I can't believe you did that. You do that again? <laughs> we start talking to ourselves like that, right? Well, love suffers long and is kind. I don't know. Sometimes maybe we think that if I'm mean to myself, God will see it and he'll... No. Love suffers long and is kind. So be kind to yourself. Practice on yourself. When you mess up, be kind. And then do that with other people. Love suffers long and is kind. Now, what kind of suffering is in mind here? Well, Jesus was at the cross. That was suffering, right? Paul and Silas at Philippi. They took a beating for the church. That's suffering. So what makes this love able to do this? How is it that God's love is able to suffer long and is kind? Because natural human love, we can suffer a little and be kind, right? But we can't suffer long and be kind. What makes it able to work is it's not tuned into self. Too much of our love is tuned into self. What do I get? What do I benefit? What do I need? What do I want? It is selfless, hope-filled, growth-seeking love. God's love is, it is selfless, hope-filled, growth-seeking love. God wants us to grow and does everything He can to grow. We, we went over this a few weeks ago that uh, God is in the restoration, not exposure. Right? God is not out to try and expose people for their sin. He's trying to restore them to a place where they were. We sometimes get the idea that God's just out to expose. And sometimes that's, a, that's the pattern that we mimic. God does not care about exposure. What He cares about is restoration. Go back to the prodigal son. Now, when the prodigal son left, the father didn't chase after him. Was that kind? Apparently. <laughs> he, let, he let him come back. We've gone over that before. There were two, uh, three parables. Two of them they went after and one they did not. The son was mature. He should have known better. He needed to come back on his own. And he did. When he came back on his own, does the father expose everything he did? No. No, he says, this is my son. He was dead. Now he's alive. Yeah. God's into restoration. Not exposure. If God's into restoration, not exposure, what should you be into? Restoration, not exposure. He goes on. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not envy. All the news media, all the commercials, all the government type people that are out there trying to get you to envy the rich, to envy the people who have this, 
to envy the folks who have this over here. Just don't do it. Be content with what you got. And know that God's going to bless you with more. But in the meantime, be content with what you have. Father God, I thank you. You're going to bless me with more. But you know what? I'm content right now. <laughs> I'm content with my car. I'm content with my house. I'm content with what I got. Glory to God. I thank you for the blessings that I have. And then when a new one comes in, glory to God. Father, I accept that. I receive that. I like that blessing too. But you always stay content. That's how we should be. Don't be envious. Well, they got a nicer car than I. I should have a nicer car. I work harder than they do. That's wrong. Don't get into that. They're trying to get you to, to go that way, but don't because the love of God does not envy. Doesn't envy. Does not envy. But they have more money. I don't care. It doesn't envy. Be glo- give glory to God. They got, oh, they're rich. Oh, that's good. I'm glad for you. Your neighbor wins the lottery. $150 million. What do you do? Should have been me. That's not the love of God. What's the love of God say? Woo! Glory to God. You did it. Love does not parade itself. That's what pride does. Doesn't go around. We, we talked about some of the actions of pride. Some of the, uh, the things that pride goes around and it boasts about itself. It, goes, it, it tries to proclaim to everyone. It magnifies all the things that it does. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Don't go around there trying to show everybody, look what I did. If somebody comes out there and says, look what we did, you don't go up there and try and top it. Remember in the Bible, Ananias and Sapphira? Barnabas had given a bunch of money. He got some recognition and they wanted it. They envied the recognition. So they came up with a scheme. We'll sell the property. We'll sell it for this much and we'll bring this much and we'll pretend like it's the whole thing. And that didn't go over so well for them. Don't parade yourself. If you're going to do something good for, for folks, just do it. Love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. Love does not parade itself. How many times have we done something in an act of love and we want to parade it? We want to broadcast it. We want to say, but I did this for you. Right? That's not the love of God. You're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to go after the world's love. You're going to get the world's stuff back. Love does not parade itself. Yeah, but they're parading themselves around. Maybe they're not walking in the love of God. It doesn't mean you walk in the way they walk. You walk in the love of God. You do what God says to do. But they're not, so? <laughs> you go out there and you do what God said to do. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. You can, be, you can be glad for the things that you can do, but don't get puffed up about it. Look at me. Look, I'm so good. I'm so... Nope. Don't need to do it. So here's his instructions. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Verse 5, it does not behave rudely. How many times have we dealt with rude people? Almost every day. At least every week we deal with somebody who's rude, right? You're in line at the grocery store and somebody is rude. The person who's checking out the groceries is rude. You know, it's really bad if you go to the grocery store and you check out the groceries and the person who's checking out your groceries is rude and you're in the self-checkout line. 
<laughs> That's bad news, sir. Yeah, we got to just be careful. Don't be rude. There's no excuse to ever be rude. There just isn't. Just be nice. Don't, we, we can find all kinds of reasons to be, to be rude. But don't. Look to spread joy. Look to, look to do things. I was in the grocery store to get something. And there was, um, sometime this week, I had to go to the grocery store. And uh, there's a guy, he just put all his groceries in. And you know, you do, some places that you park, you're not real close to where you're supposed to put the, the cart. Well, he was, uh, he was being kind. And he took his cart. He was walking it up to the place where he was. Well, I was passing him. And it's one of the big carts. When I go in the grocery store, I don't need a big cart. My wife goes in the grocery store. She needs a big cart. <laughs> I just get the small cart. I'm just going in for a couple things. So I, if I get anything, I get the small cart. So I just needed a small cart. He's coming out with a big cart. So I said, you know what? I'll take that back in there for you. I'm going in. So I just grabbed it from him. He threw it over my way. And I started going on in. Well, instead of him just passing me, then he started, he said something nice back to me. I said, you know, something back to him. And then he goes, well, happy 4th of July. And I said, well, happy 4th. And we're just going back and forth to say nice things. We came out of there feeling better about each other, right? <laughs> just, just don't be rude. It does not help us to be rude. I think one of, the, one of the toughest places to not be rude is in the, when you're driving the car. And, and people do some stuff to you, right? We've got to just look at this. This is practice. This is practice. No one's around here. No one sees what I'm doing. This is practice. What comes out of your mouth? I'll tell you right off the bat, I'm sometimes rude. <laughs> sometimes people do some stuff and, I mean, it's just blame. It's stupid. It's just plain stupid. I, don't, I do not understand to this day why someone is such a, in a hurry to turn right on a red light to go 15 miles an hour down the road. I don't, I don't understand it. I, I can't, I, I, every time it happens, I still wonder, how, why are you in a hurry if you're just going to go 15 miles an hour down the road? I don't get it. You all run into those people too. They're out there. I... I, I I don't quite understand what it is, but they're, they're out there. And, you know, they can get us going. But we've got to remember, this is practice time. This is practice. No one else is around. This is just me in the car. What am I going to say? What kind of stuff am I going to do? I've got to practice not being rude. I mean, does it do any good to do all the things that you did? I mean, if we had lasers on the car, we would have fired them. Right? Fired at the tires, you know, got them a flat tire or something like that. Once you just like that, get somebody who's rude in the road and just have the ability from your car to give them a flat tire so they had to pull over to the side of the road and deal with it. That would be fun. Of course, you might have a flat tire a few times yourself, so we want to be careful about that. Does not behave rudely. Don't be rude. Don't be rude to your family. Don't be rude to the people that you don't know. Don't be rude to the people in the store. Don't be rude to the people on the phone. Just don't be rude. We've all found that we had some limits on this, though, haven't we? You know, I do pretty good on the phone not getting rude with people, but every once in a while I run into one who pushes me to the limit. And I'm thinking, I cannot believe that they actually gave you a job. Because they obviously don't want to do it. Hmm. And I had to look at myself and say, Steve, you failed. You were rude. 
You were rude. Don't be rude. Don't, you got to go back to the Word of God. What's the Word of God says? Love suffers long and is kind. Does not envy. Does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Except uh, customer service people. <laughs> Who has that translation? It's got to be out there, right? It must be in the Greek somewhere. Does not behave rudely. Every time that we have something that's stirred up on the inside of us that wants us to be rude, we have time to practice not being rude. And the more we practice it, the more we do it. You've got to practice it. The guys in the NBA, I mean, those guys can shoot the, the lights out. I mean, just about every, anyone who's in the NBA can shoot. They, they, they will classify, this is a shooter, this is a not shooter. But I'll tell you what, you take the worst shooter in the NBA and they'll blow us out of the water. They're, they're, they don't get to that level being bad. I mean, what's the, what's the minimum salary in the NBA? Half a million? 300000 something like that? Around half a million? You're not going to pay somebody half a million dollars to play basketball who shoots like me. Right? That's just not going to happen. I play basketball sometimes. But I know nowhere near. Nowhere near. Those guys are something. But still, when you see them at practice, what are they doing? What do they do? If you go to, a, to an NBA practice, if you go to the game early and you see them out in the court, what are they doing? Shooting. Shooting. Shooting foul shots. Shooting jumpers. Shooting. Every time they go out in the court, what do they do? Shoot and dribble. Do some passing. Do some shooting. Do some more dribbling. Why? Because the more they practice it, the more they can do it in the game time situation when the pressure is on. When the pressure is on. I remember, remember that uh, NBA championship. I can't say that I've watched too many of them, but I watched this one. I don't know who the other team was. I just know the Chicago Bulls were in it. Game seven. I remember it was a game seven. And the ball was in, guess whose hands? Michael Jordan. He had the ball. Seconds on the clock. And he goes up and he shoots. Who would you ever rather have shooting the ball in a game time situation than Michael Jordan? I can't think of anybody better. And he sunk it. And they won the game. Won the NBA championship. Game seven. Last second shot. And I think that was when he retired the first time. He retired after that and then he came on back in. What a way to retire though. After a career he had on a game-winning NBA title shot, man, that is something. But still, if you found Michael Jordan on the court, what's he doing? Practicing. Because when you get into that game-time situation, when you get into that pressure situation, you don't want to be able to, you don't want to think about it. You want it to just flow. You want it to just flow. And that's what you do. So you have all these rude people that are around you. They are giving you practice to not be rude. Love does not behave rudely. Put it this way for you. Love is not selfish. It's not selfish. Love is not selfish. Love, you can love yourself without being selfish. Love wants others to grow as much as they want themselves to grow. Love wants others to prosper as much as they want themselves to prosper. That's what love does. So love 
does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. What does Jesus say about seeking? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and these other things will be added to you. Too often we are seeking the other things. The Word of God says it doesn't seek His own. Because love understands I don't have to seek my own. If I seek after the well-being of other people, God, He seeks after mine. And He blesses me. That's good. Don't, Don't just be out there seeking your own. You have an opportunity to help somebody, what should you do? Help them. Why should you do that? Because that's what love does. Love helps. Love does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Oh, man. Have you ever been provoked? Has people ever provoked you? I mean, some people know you real well and they know how to provoke you. Other people, they just met you and they figured it out. They start provoking you. They start getting under your skin. Mess up your whole day. But love is not provoked. I discovered this a long time ago. Um, My sister, we get along famously now. But we did not always. If you ever see us together, you would never know it. But we did not always get along. We sometimes were embattled. And um, I found out some things about being embattled with a sibling. That if you don't react, it isn't fun. So I learned. If you don't react, it isn't fun. If it's not fun, people don't do it. Right? So I decided I'm not going to be provoked. Now, I didn't do it for godly reasons. It would have been good if I did. You know? It would be real, real good if I read this scripture and said, I'm going to go this. I didn't do it for that. I did it for selfish reasons. <laughs> I'll get her. <laughs> That's the wrong reason. You might be doing the right thing, but you're doing it the wrong way. <laughs> so that wasn't good. But I just decided, because I, I used to be very ticklish, and so one of the things she would do to provoke me was to tickle. And I didn't like it. I mean, how many of you know, if you're ticklish, you don't like to be tickled. It's just not fun. So I just decided, I'm not going to be tickled anymore. I am not going to be ticklish anymore. I don't know how that worked. I still don't know how that worked, but it worked. I decided not to be ticklish, and I wasn't. And she would tickle me, and it just didn't do any good. So I found ways that I would not be provoked by her. That did not mean that I did not provoke myself. I, I provoked in turn. I, I didn't. I would like to say that I was no longer provoked, and I didn't provoke other people, but that's not the case. <laughs> I still provoked her. And if you heard the stories, some of the provoking we did, you'd wonder how we're still friends. I locked her outside in the winter. Yeah, I was mean. <laughs> I was mean. Did some, did some stuff. But um, glory to God, got saved. <laughs> does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Does not seek for its own good. It seeks after the good of other people. It is not provoked. If you continue, if you just remember that first principle. Seek after the good of other people, you won't get provoked. Because to be provoked, you're seeking after your own good. And you're protecting it. Don't mess with it. Doesn't behave rudely. Does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. You thought this list was tough before. It thinks no 
evil. How many of you have friends, relatives, and the thought of evil intent on their part comes up? I know they did that to get me. Right? You're over at work, and I just know they're all out to get me. I know that they did this to get me. We think evil. What's the Word of God say about that? It thinks no evil. No evil. How much evil is that? Surely we can, maybe it's a little bit of evil. I mean, he says no, he doesn't mean absolutely none. He means there's a little bit there, but we'll consider it none, right? No, he's saying no evil. So when the thought comes in that so-and-so, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your boss, your co-workers, your neighbor, whoever it might be, is doing something, they're doing it to get you. They're trying to hurt you. They're doing it to get you. It thinks no evil. If we just would not think evil about what other people are doing, well, if I do that, then, you know, people will take advantage of me. No, they won't. You know how people don't take advantage of you? Because you follow your spirit. Spirit of God says, don't trust that one. Okay. I'm not thinking evil at all. I'm just, God says, don't, don't do that. Don't give that one any money. They're not, not uh, quality investment. Don't, don't put any money there. Okay. I don't do it. You know how most people are led? Most people are led not by the Spirit. Most people are led by their minds. Christians. Christian people are led by their minds. I'll prove it to you. When you bought your last car, what was your deciding factor? If you, want to, if you were looking at the same model car, two or three different places... What made you decide to buy the one that you did? Was it the best price? The best deal? How many times have we been led to buy a car because it was the best deal? What is that? Is that being led by the Spirit? It's not being led by the Spirit at all, is it? It's being led by what? Your mind. And you listen to Christians talk about it. Oh, God led me to a wonderful deal. Wonderful deal. God didn't lead you at all. You followed the price. Maybe you bought it because of color. Well, the three places had it. This one had it in this color. This one had it in this color. And this one had it in this color. So I got this one. Was that being led by the Spirit? Do you know the Spirit of God may lead you to spend more money on your car than you could? You know He might do that? Well, why would God ever do that? Because God knows one car from another. And he may know, that's a better car. You're going to be happier with that one. Buy that one. Yeah, but they won't come down in price. Buy that one. Maybe that dealership is going to stand behind it a little more than the dealership you are going to get the better price from. And how many know that helps out? Yeah. You don't know all that. It might also be the lowest price. But if you get a, a deal, you need to go to God and say, Father God, I got a deal. I got this one. I got this one. I got this one. Which one should I do? Which one should I do? What's he going to What's he going to lead you for? What's he going to lead you to do? Listen to him. Give him an opportunity to speak to you. He will speak to you about it. Let, let him lead you in your spirit. He can tell you. He says, "No, don't get that car." But it's a good price. Don't get that car. You got that car. It broke down on you a couple of times. Stuff happened. Don't let five hundred, seven hundred dollars separate you from a car. 
That's ridiculous. Let's listen to the Spirit of God. Now, here's the tough one. Because we already got bit by the bug to buy the car. Right? So, we're going to buy a car. And God says, don't buy it yet. We mean don't buy it yet. I need a car. I got a great deal on a car. I like this car. We mean don't buy it yet. Don't buy it yet. Don't buy it yet. Well, it might be that the car that is going to work for you isn't here yet. But it's coming. You need to be able to listen to that. See, most times, folks, we, we get led by natural stuff. Why do most people leave their job? One, they got offended. Is that being led by the Spirit? No. Two, they got offered more money. Is that being led by the Spirit? Have you ever taken a job that paid you more money and you were miserable? Just didn't like the job? Listen to the Spirit of God. Listen to the Spirit of God. We've had people in church give testimonies about that. I remember uh, Ethel even talking about one. She was offered a promotion about one. And uh, didn't feel it in her spirit. And didn't take it. Six months later, I think it was, that something similar came up. And uh, didn't involve her to move or some, some other things. Well, just listen to your spirit. Spirit will not always tell you why. He just tells you what to do. Don't do it. Don't do it yet. Don't do it yet. Just wait. We've got to learn how to do that. Well, there's more on that some other time. Let's finish this one up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. It thinks no evil. In the, um, in the phrase here, thinks no evil, the Greek word that it's talking about is actually a Greek word that means to keep accounts, to make a list, an inventory. It thinks no evil. How many times have we thought about the inventory of things that people have done against us? Well, they did this, and they did this, and they did this, and they did this. Don't do it. Don't do it. Get that inventory out of your head. It is not good for you to be thinking along those lines. Stay out of it. Verse 6. It does not rejoice in iniquity. It does not rejoice in iniquity. Have you ever seen someone who's against you get a, get a bad rap? What's the Word of God say? Don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. One of the best examples of that is David. When David heard that Saul had died, does he do the dance of joy? He's sad. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. When you feel the rejoicing coming up for iniquity, it's just telling you this isn't the love of God. This isn't what it looks like. When you hear, uh, when you feel in your, inside you that you want to rejoice because the truth has won out, that's the love of God. That's the love of God. In these short scriptures, we're given a whole lot of guidance on love. Brother Hagen used to exhort uh, folks. He says, uh, every once in a while, you just need to take this scripture and just read it for like 30 days in a row. Um, I believe he was, used to tell us in the Amplified. Read it in the Amplified. But every once in a while, you need to pull these verses out, four, five, and six, and just read them and go over them. Because uh, we forget them. We forget them. Love rejoices in truth. It rejoices in truth. It just loves it when truth wins, when truth comes out. It's just, it's just glad. That's the love of God. Verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
What's the thing that's repeated there? All things. <laughs> all things. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. If you ever stop enduring, what love are you walking in? Not the love of God. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. All things. Love believes and love hopes. Love believes and hopes. That's what love is. It believes and it hopes. If you get this down on the inside and you practice on yourself... And every opportunity that people come along, you practice on them. You practice walking in love. I just, I've been doing that for weeks now. Just keep thinking back to the NBA players. How often do they practice shooting? All season long? In the off season? When the season starts again? When they finish their basketball careers, what can you still find a basketball player doing on the court? Shooting. They still get on the court and they shoot. Because they are a basketball player. You are a Christian. You walk in love. Every opportunity, you should walk in love. And this is what's telling you what is walking in love. It goes for your spouse. It goes for your kids. It goes for your parents. It goes for your boss. It goes for your neighbor. It goes for everyone. This is how we ought to be walking. This is what we ought to do. So here's a question for you. As far as the love walk goes, how do I measure up? How are you measuring up? When you read that list, how are you doing? Is there areas where you need to grow? <laughs> when we're reading that list, can you find some areas we can I can I can get better there. I can get I can get better there. All right, so if you can get better there, here's the question for you. How will you do it? How will you do it? We've been talking mostly about pride in this series. If you walk in love, pride will not be able to take root. If you walk in love, pride will not be able to take root. If pride has taken root in your life, it is because somewhere you stopped walking in love. To get yourself back on. Get after it. Walk in love. These other things won't come. Your heart condition will be great. It'll be fantastic. If you walk in love. Walk in love with the people you work with. Walk in love with the people you live with. Walk in love with the people you live around. Walk in love with the people you don't know. Walk in love. Every opportunity. Every day we've got to look at, I have an opportunity to practice. Practice walking in love. So when you get into the big game and God needs to count on you. Steve, I need you to walk in this love in this situation. I got this person over there and we need to minister to him. I need you to walk in love. And I get there, I'm ready. I'm ready. Are we ready? Are we ready to walk in love? Would you all stand up for me? The greatest act of love, of course, that we saw Jesus even said in his word, no greater love is any man than he laid down his life. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And there is no greater love than that. As we end the service this morning with communion.
Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him. As he walked in love, as he demonstrated that principle to us, we need to walk in love. As it says, love suffers, suffers long and is kind. Kind. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It's not rude. This is what God's love is. Now, here's the neat thing. The Word of God says that His love has been poured somewhere. Where did it go? It went into our heart. The love of God has been poured into our heart. That means the love that we have is described in these verses, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 5, and 6. That is the love that was poured into your heart. That's what it was. If you want to know what's in your heart, that's it. If it's competing with something else, something else might be in there, but that's not what God put in your heart. What God put in your heart, we just read. You want to recognize the love of God? It's going to, it's going to match those traits. This is what it's going to be. Operate by that love. Most of your people problems will go away. Your inability to hear what the Spirit of God is trying to say to you, that will diminish. You'll begin to hear more and more. The more you walk in love, the more you will see what God's doing, what God's saying. He wants you to hear it. He wants you to see. As everyone is, looks like they've been served on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, someone who walked with him all those years was going to sell him out and betray him. Still, Jesus was going to go to the cross for him, as well as us. By the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He says, this represents my body. The body of Jesus Christ represents the healing that's in our body. The healing that he provided for us. He took on his flesh the penalty of the curse. The sickness and disease would no longer have to be a part of us. So we eat together, let's remember what he did. Then after supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats, could only cover up sin. But in the new covenant, his blood washed it away. All we need for the forgiveness of sins is his blood. Not our good works, not our promises. Just his blood. His righteousness has been declared to be ours. As we drink together, let's remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice giving up your son that we may live. We deserve death but we got life because of Jesus. We thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory. We thank you that your love has been poured out into our heart. That we can go out from here and operate in that love. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, before we go, we have some praise reports. Folks who have been busy doing the word. If you didn't get yours written up, you have a little bit of time while we're reading these. This one, Ethel already gave most of this, but she said um, her praise report is for a church that believes in healing and puts it into action. She said her throat and her voice were back to 100% by Sunday night last week. She was not here because she could hardly talk. 
um, <coughs> Roshan wrote that Alicia traveled to Arizona last Tuesday and she was blessed to not have to pay the $25 baggage fee or the $150 unaccompanied minor fee. Praise God for that. And she got there safely. <laughs> um, and Tony's praise report says that um, she was able to get her car released to her early and that um, she received $125 from someone. She was, she was low on money, and so she received $125. So praise God for meeting financial needs. Anybody else have any 